got your letter, but I moved out here anyway. I really want those detective lessons. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. As per usual, I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And for this episode, uh, this was a a classic epi pick, I would say. Uh, which uh, which episode are we talking about this time? We are talking about episode um, episode twenty two, uh, season two. This is a bad deal in the valley. This is the I believe the season ender. Uh, I think so. It doesn't uh, doesn't end with a cliffhanger or anything like that. And <laughs> as far as I know. We don't destroy the uh, Firebird. Yeah, neither neither the Firebird nor Jim's trailer is destroyed. All in all, I, I'd say Jim got off easy in this episode. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it. We're done. Right. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, so this episode is, uh, as we said, uh, the last episode in season two, which is kind of when the show was re. Uh, reclaiming its creative stride after a bit of a, of a of a dip at the beginning of the season. It is written by a team, Donald Gold and Lester Burke or Les Burke, who we have seen before. They uh, wrote they wrote the episode Feeding Frenzy, which we talked about in our episode twenty seven, and that's the one that has the amazing um, uh, handoff, like hostage exchange in the middle of the ice oh, rink. Yeah. Oh. Very memorable. Um, I don't know if we got into it on that episode. I don't recall. But uh, Lester Burke was the unit manager for the Rockford Files. I don't really know how TV production works, but is kind of a uh, production manager lane mm-hmm. position. Um, so he was, you know, around for the whole series, came in with this guy, Donald Gold, uh, who was mostly a director and an assistant director on other shows. He also produced Miami Vice his, uh, in his portfolio. So yeah, so the two of them teamed up for for for, for three of these episodes. But uh, Lester Burke, in addition to being the you know on on set for the TV show, he's also credited as the second assistant director on the movies on the '90s movie. Ah. So in our latest episode 40, where we talked about the second movie, we talked about a little bit about how people from the show came back into roles that were close to what they had on the show, even though they're farther along in their careers at that point. And I think this is one of mm-hmm. those guys where he was producing shows and, and stuff in the nineties, but they came in as second AD for the, <laughs> for the, to, to get the, the team back together. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I see. He's also written some $6 million man episodes, which mm-hmm. I've been enjoying quite a few lately. So in case if you're wondering if I've moved forward in time in my uh, television viewing, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. The director for this one is Jerry London, one of his eight episodes of the Rockford Files, including our very first episode we did, Tall Woman in oh. a Red Wagon, and uh, which I believe we both liked quite a lot. Yeah. And also our episode 18, Just by Accident, which we did not actually like very much. <laughs> so uh yeah we'll see but yeah uh he's one of these guys who's has this extensive tv direction portfolio transitioning tv movies and fun imdb lookup apparently he has a movie that he's directing that's in pre-production for 2019 that is 13 years after his last 
credit. Oh wow! Yeah, so he's coming back. He had a uh, he had some some credits in the early two thousands. Then apparently is doing this this movie. Yeah, that's. I mean, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and I picked this episode, mm-hmm. uh, and we this briefly. If you've listened to our special edition episode, mm-hmm. uh, but I picked this episode because I have been going uh, dealing with some real estate, and uh, I essentially here was my technique. I sat down, I opened up Google, and I typed in Rockford Files Real Estate, and it said, (laughs) like, real estate in Rockford, Illinois? And I said, no. And then it said, oh, okay, how about this episode? And I said, yeah, that episode sounds lovely. It's our extremely uh, technical way of deciding which episode we're going to do next. And uh, started watching it, and it just kept coming back to me i kept feeling like we had watched it before i mean i i've seen all of these episodes before right but i felt like we had watched it and discussed it and uh as it turns out it it touches upon some themes from some previous episodes that we had uh we had done i guess we'll get into them when we get into them mm-hmm. but uh uh it just i kept having to check to make sure we had <laughs> about this thing yeah well between uh some recurring um, or some returning character actors um, mm-hmm. and actors in the, in this episode. This this episode, I think, does a good job encapsulating a lot of the meat of the Rockford Files. Like, this is a good, yeah. here's what a Rockford Files episode is, um, which means that it's familiar because a lot of these things we've seen in other episodes. That's actually, that's an interesting take because, I yeah, I think I would definitely, if somebody was like, I just need one episode to show me what the Rockford Files is. I'd feel comfortable giving this episode. I wouldn't say that this is the definitive episode. Right. But it would give you an idea of how the Rockford Files works. And I would tell them to, while they're watching it, I would say, pay close attention to whether or not he's been hired to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess the only other thing I would say is, what you if this is the first episode you're seeing, what you're not getting is who Dennis and Beth and Rocky are. You get a little bit. You get there's an understanding yeah. that there's a relationship there, but you don't get the whole deal. There's a little bit of nuance that I think we, and we'll talk about it, especially with Beth's appearance, that yeah. might be lost if you're not familiar with the with the characters. But yeah, for a uh, solid... I mean, yeah, I was just I was just going to say what you said. Um, this is... Yeah. I would be comfortable saying this is not the definitive episode, but this is a good showcase of um not even it's not even that it's the most witty episode or the funniest or it has the most compelling script or anything like that because i don't think it does but it's just the it's one of the i feel like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts in a way it has a the the vibe is strong you get like uh part of the mcguffin or escrow papers that may not exist like oh that's such rockford yeah the only thing better would be if they were bearer bonds right exactly yeah (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, it has escrow papers, but it also has stolen jewelry and plenty right. of counterfeitings. I don't want to spoil this, but if you're <laughs> listening to our episode, you should have watched uh, this episode. So, yeah, it's um, it just definitely it has that je ne sais quoi <laughs> of right. a Rockford Files episode. Yeah. Well, speaking of je ne sais quoi, uh, what mm-hmm. uh, what jumped out to you about our uh, very brief preview montage? Uh, Oh, so I have one quote from it, and this is uh, interesting. So the quote I have is, I don't want to be anywhere near this one, which is (laughs) rock saying it. Yeah. (laughs) What I love about it is that without any information, this quote 
sounds like Rockford is trying to get away from something that he'll be pulled into, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what we understand a Rockford Files episode is. But when we get to the moment when he actually says the quote, I think he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's absolutely in that moment digging in as deep as he can um and he's may even being a little sarcastic but we, we can discuss that when we hit yeah that stuck out to me oh yeah for sure and i mean this is a real real quick uh preview montage we know there's a quarter of a million dollars someone's getting a you know a, a woman's getting abducted rockford's getting arrested he doesn't want to be involved with whatever is going on yeah. and then there's an out of control car you know, what's going to happen? Freeze frames yeah. before we, we know how it turns out. I want to comment. I know we don't always do this, but I want to comment on the answering machine message. <laughs> Uncle Jim, it's Ralph. Does Jim have a brother or a sister? So the only relatives that I can recall, I mean, are his dad, obviously. Um, through the answering machine messages, I think we hear an aunt, maybe? And on another episode, and this one is his nephew, right? Yes. And also, he has his adopted brother, Aaron Ironwood. Oh, maybe. But I also do not think that there is a greater Rockford family that in the fictional universe. I think this was, as has been uh, uh, noted before, these answering machine messages were straight up just, we need something. Someone, Someone yeah. come up with something funny. We need a gag. We run ourselves into a goddamn corner with this. <laughs> with this bit. <laughs> and we can't stop now. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember I just heard it and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> What's going on here? And, uh, you know, I can also absolutely believe that he's has an avuncular relationship with someone. Could be someone like the, the son of someone he had dated oh, in the past. Sure, yeah. Like that kind of thing. Totally possible. 200 a day is supported by all of our listeners, but especially our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Patrons get to add to the 200 a day Rockford Files files, help us pick which episodes to cover, and more. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at cons east of the Mississippi on behalf of Indie Press Revolution. Follow along on Twitter at IPR Tweets. Shane Leveland. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll For Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Mike Gillis, host of the Radio vs. the Martians podcast, the McLaughlin Group for Nerds. They remain at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Kevin Lovecraft, part of the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars Actual Play Podcast, found at MisdirectedMark.com. Lowell Francis, with his award-winning gaming blog at AgeOfRavens.blogspot.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Chris, and Dave P. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter at Richard Haddam. Check out patreon.com slash 200 today and see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. Well, speaking of people that Jim dated in the past. Yes, oh, there's a segue. Finally, we got one. <laughs> uh, we begin our episode uh, at a nice looking restaurant where Jim. So clever is uh, at the bar with uh, Karen. This woman, Karen, is going to be Jim's foil for for the episode, uh, which I think becomes clear very quickly. She's played by an actress named Susan Strasberg, who played uh, the Countess in the episode The Countess that we did as our second episode of uh, of our show. And so she was very familiar to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, she's had, she was definitely in the show, right? And I was like, ah, in kind of a similar role, actually. Yeah. But she's great. I think she's probably in this one more than she was in that one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, character is, well, we'll get into the character, but I love this. <laughs> yeah. Um, we start off the episode with they have some kind of gentle banter to establish the tone and, and of their relationship, right? Mm-hmm. We quickly learn that they used to date. They dated three years ago, but it ended. Uh, it had like a fiery ending or something like that or went down in flames. But she's looked Jim up because she heals quickly. And yeah. He apparently doesn't. I feel like over the course of the scene, I started going like, all right, when's when's the con going to start with her? Right. 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 But for the first part, it seems pretty straight up where she's being very flirtatious, but also saying how he started thinking about him and looked him up and wanted if he was married or not. And he wasn't. There was no Mr. and Mrs. Rockford yeah. in the phone book. So because she's still pretty liberated, she uh, decided to make the first <laughs> move and give him a call. Pr- pretty liberated, she says, as she strokes his hand. Mm-hmm. I Okay, so I, I want to give everyone involved in this scene a lot of credit because uh, you and I, watching Rockford Files, were suspicious of her because not I'm not going to say because of women, but because of people in Jim's past. We were just talking about um, his adopted brother mm-hmm. uh, or Angel or uh, Gandhi or, you know, like, yeah, people from Jim's past who, who just suddenly show up out of nowhere. Yeah. Which, again, talking about this kind of encapsulating other episode, it's kind of also the beginning to uh, there's one in every port where a girlfriend yeah. from Jim's past suddenly shows up and has a problem that, and she's running a con. But the scene still plays out with enough doubt. I don't know. I just felt like they, 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 they ran that line really close. And I, and I think that that's a difficult thing to do. I think. And, and as we'll find out, there's probably something genuine happening between oh, yeah. years, even though there's a con and that comes through. It just, does and uh you know i want to give everyone that's involved in it credit for that because it just um it really feels real yeah it's it's uh i think a lot of it is i mean it's both of them but i think a lot of the doubt is also coming from jim's body language right he seems yeah a little suspicious but he's curious as they reiterate but he does seem to be willing to respond to her flirtation so he's not like totally doubtful um but he is reticent um and i think the suspicion perhaps for the audience or at least this audience member grows once they transition into talking about what she's been up to lately which is that she's gotten into real estate she has her own office and she's doing really well she actually has a deal coming up that is gonna that stands to net her a a quarter of a million dollars in profit but she's in a bind. Um, she has a meeting that she forgot about, but she has this briefcase full of escrow papers that need to be delivered in order to make this deal happen. So she asks Jim if he can do her a favor, pick up her papers at her office, take them to this other office while she's at this other meeting, and then they can go go to the tennis matches in the afternoon. She has tickets. Yeah, and of course Jim accepts it because, right? Yeah, what's he going to do? Not help her out? Yeah, that is, uh, I just did the inflation calculator for the quarter oh. of a million. That is, that is a cool million, roughly. So, yeah. 
It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quarter of a million is already a big deal, but I <laughs> wanted to like let everyone know mm-hmm. that it's a big deal. Uh, the episode credits play over a little montage of Jim going to it's a her, her last name is Styles, right? So going to yeah. uh, Styles real estate office, picking up this briefcase and then driving away with it. And the camera shows us that Jim's being watched by someone. I would yeah. hazard to guess a goon of some kind in another car. He uh, he delivers the briefcase to uh, to a Jack Chilson. Um I guess the other party in this deal. There's a little bit of business of like making him wait. I didn't get the reference to whatever magazine he picked up. I think he just didn't care for the reading choices or I, you know, pre-smartphone. You have to make your entertainment with what's available and it just wasn't uh, something suited to him. What was really fun was the bit about the receipt and how Jim's like, I, I don't know why you would want like they're they're just escrow papers or whatever. Like there's this mismatch there between one's expectations and the others. And um, you as the audience member, we've already been primed to be a little suspicious of what's going on, Uh, but it's time to be really suspicious. And it's interesting to me that Jim isn't. Yeah. At this point, he seems genuinely, uh, to to have fallen for this right you know what i mean yeah it's a little it's a little bit like uh in order for our story to happen jim needs to needs to wait there yeah yeah so this this other party to the exchange jack chilson as you say asks him if he wants a receipt and then it's like well don't you think you should get one in you know a matter of of this magnitude or whatever and then they make him wait for a while um, which we, I think, becomes evident is clearly stalling because as Jim asks about how long it's going to take cause to get this receipt, two LAPD officers run on in. <laughs> they don't run. They quick walk on yeah. in and uh, and arrest Jim Rockford. And then we get a significant glance uh, of this guy Chilson looking out of his office door as they hustle him out. Um, I thought that there was going to be more with this guy. Actually, this is the only time... Yeah, it, this is definitely a, a, a Rockford special where you hire somebody who can look like he's important. Uh, but yeah, that's it. You just need a guy to be a character for a moment. Yeah. Um, and I guess that the, 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 the little bit with the door maybe is to, to push home that he was that he's the one who called the cops. Right. Like, yeah. however, yeah. this went down, it was because he was stalling. I think it's communicated well by that little bit. Um so now something something dramatic has happened. Uh, we are going to what I, I think is our, our act two of the episode with Jim at the police station talking to his good friend, Sergeant Dennis Becker. I have in my notes here, classic Dennis and Jim. This is... This is very classic. When we say things are classic Dennis, this episode is a good reference point for what we're talking about. He, like, he just doesn't give, uh, doesn't give Jim, like, any, any slack whatsoever like it it seems like a, a situation to give jim slack but as we know longtime viewers uh that the relationship is if somebody's bringing jim into the police station uh that's trouble for dennis <laughs> like there's he's not incentivized to help jim out because jim just means uh problems like in some ways i'm sure dennis wouldn't mind putting jim in jail so the reason he was arrested is uh as it turns out that briefcase did not contain escrow papers no it was full of 
$100,000 of crooked money. Um, <laughs> or as Dennis says, it's not straight. It is counterfeit bills. And so he has the actual briefcase and opens it to show show Jim that it's full of this money. Jim, of course, is like, you know, why are you bringing me in on this? I'm just the messenger. Uh, I picked up the briefcase. It was locked, he mentions. So like, okay. So he didn't look at what was in it. It was locked anyway. I delivered it and... Yeah. Oh, Jim has such a great wounded look in this. Again, like, it, you see, it seems like he genuinely... He may not have fallen for it entirely, but he mm-hmm. genuinely hoped that this was legit. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. And so, and he's like, we'll talk to Karen. She can tell you this. And uh, Becker says like, well, she says that the money that she gave you was real and that she hates to think that you're ripping her off. Right. <laughs> so now I think we see, uh, we see Jim realizing that he's been, he's been played. Yeah, I jumped the gun on that wounded thing. Yeah, this is the moment when that happens. And it just it comes, it's just right all over his entire face. You can see it's also great because of how exasperated Jim is in these situations. Mm-hmm. By contrast, when you think of Angel being in a situation like this, Angel would be panicking. Right. Jim's not panicking. He's like, ah, let's just straighten this out so I can get on with my life. It's like I'm so obviously not at fault here. Yeah. <laughs> like um we have our, uh, I think our only uh, joke in the cut here in this episode where, but it's a good one where Dennis says, counterfeit money, that's a federal beef, you know. And Jim goes, I know. And then we cut to Beth saying, that's a federal beef, you know. <laughs> and Jim <laughs> goes, I know, I know. This scene. Oh, my. Mm. All right. So, I mean, we, we, we did talk about it a little bit before about how, if you don't know the the stuff between Beth and Jim, you can guess at it watching the scene. Mm-hmm. But if you do know this, uh, this scene is just delicious yeah. because you're just waiting for it to come out. The, the relationship between uh, Jim and Karen in this, uh, in this moment. Yeah. So Beth, uh, Jim's lawyer, of course, um, he's, he's annoyed. He wasn't able to find her the night before. So he's been in jail for the night and she has a line about how like, I'm allowed to have a social life, you know, and the way that she's acting. And then Jim says something about like, says something about Karen. I forget exactly what the line is, but Beth is clearly annoyed that whatever is happening is because Jim got involved with an old girlfriend. Right. right? Yeah. Like that's the subtext <laughs> to, to this whole thing. Uh, Jim and Beth, of course, have their uh, oscillating relationship um, over the course of these seasons. Uh, and Beth does, you know, turn on her lawyering uh, after after she makes him aware that, you know, she's not at his beck and call. Uh, yeah. She can't always just be there whenever he gets into trouble. But, yeah, she does have that. There's that undercurrent of, like, really? Karen? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, again, I think the joy. And watching it, you really see it. Yeah. Um, and it's, as you say, it is a delicious little ambiance uh, to the yeah. scene. I mean, I I want Jim to be right. I want Jim to come out on top. But I also love to watch him squirm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially at the hands of Beth. <laughs> yes, yes, especially at the hands of Beth. Um, Beth brings up a another rarely seen but appreciated uh, side character, the bail bondsman, Solly. Yes. Solly uh, won't bail him out on this. And I forget what they say. It's like a $10,000 bond. Or something. Yeah, I don't remember the... Um, yeah, so... so Beth is annoyed and asks, like, so who is this Karen person anyway? And Jim reveals information that 
gives us more context for the first scene that Jim did time with her dad in prison. Yeah. So he knows her through his con buddy, her dad. Again, this is like uh, one in every port, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's that same relationship where he, mm-hmm. he knows somebody, another con man, probably from prison, uh, and knows uh, there's possibly... Something- Dated their daughter, and then it's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pattern that Jim really should probably think about. Yeah, <laughs> it should take some time. Talk to someone about it. So Beth clarifies that, yes, of course, she knows that Jim's been set up. She kind of lets him wriggle about, like, what, you don't yeah. believe me either? But like, of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful frame job. But then uh, Becker comes in and, hey, you know what? It's all been cleared up. Yeah. You're, you're good. Uh, we don't have any reason to hold you. You're out on, it says you're out on OR. I, I looked up because I'm not familiar with that phrase, but I believe that that just means you're, he's out on his own recognizance. Yeah. There's no, no bail. He can just, he can just, uh, oh, good episode. Yeah. Episode over. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that is extremely suspicious. Um, Jim heads home in the first appearance of the Firebird in this episode. Oh, before we get to that, I do want to talk about one brief little moment where, uh, it's just the smallest thing, but I loved it so much when he's allowed to go. He looks a little doubtful about it, but he leaves with Beth. And there's that moment where Dennis is left alone in the room. And it's like, he's like, wait, why am I here? Because Jim says like, hey, we'll get lunch sometime. Like, good to see you, Dennis. We'll have to get yeah. lunch sometime. And it's like, yeah, sure. And then they close the door behind his back so he can't walk yeah. out with them. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I have to believe that that was just how they did the scene. Yeah. It was just the, you know, on the set, like how it worked out. And they're like, no, that's perfect. Yeah, that's yeah, this this next scene is very brief. We just see that there's a there's a there's a mysterious car in the parking lot by Jim's trailer with some ominous music, so we know that that's suspicious. Uh, Jim's dad Rocky is waiting for him in the trailer, and uh, it's like, hey, it's great, you got out of jail. <laughs> but Jim, you know, telling us what we already know, the cops must know something that he doesn't, and that's why they let him out. Dun dun dun. They just opened the door and let me out. That worries me a bit. Though I think now that the plot is thickening, we get into the the meat of this episode. So I've been, I you know, I've I've started breaking these down into these acts, kind of just to help organize my thoughts and and kind of how the story look at the narrative construction. And this one really has like a bell curve, really short bits to set everything up, and then this middle part is like most of the episode uh, in terms yeah. of the rhythm of what's happening. Because um, this is the whole part where Jim basically figures out what's going on. We start off with Jim going to the tennis club. Was, as as forementioned, Karen's a tennis fan um, or is a part of the club or whatever. Yeah. Finds her on the tennis court. She appears to be surprised to see him, um, which I think is genuine. I think, you know, she expected yeah. him to still be in jail. <laughs> and we have the first of a number of scenes where he basically keeps telling her that he knows that she's conning him. Right, and he right. just wants to know why. And she has layer after layer of deflection about what she's doing and why. In this case, she says that she trusts him. She knows he's honest, but every man has his price. And uh, she was worried that if she told him that there was $10,000 or no, it's $100,000. 150 even, right? It, there's $100,000 in the case. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, so if she told him that there's $100,000 in that briefcase, maybe, you know. He would have stolen it. Yeah. And he's like, well, but it was counterfeit. And she says like, well, a week ago, she sold 100 acres of land for cash from a friend. And she wouldn't have done it for cash, but he's a friend. And I'm just realizing now that this 
hooks into what is actually going on because she says that he's getting a divorce and didn't want to have this on his bank records or something. And that does come into play later. At the time, I was like, okay, some excuse. But uh, so he's the one who gave her the phony money. She didn't know it was counter. So it's really his fault. So uh, he still doesn't believe her, of course, and wants her to go tell the cops about this. And she's like, what? And then I'll be the one on, on the hook for this whole fraud thing. He's like, no, tell the cops about this guy, Tony Letterer, the one who gave her the phony money. Then she's like, okay, okay, fine. And then there's this whole bit where she's like, I'm going to go change. Jim clearly (laughs) does not believe her that she's going to go change. Yeah, he's he's well aware that that is not going to happen. But two extremely beefy tennis guys (laughs) come up and uh, interrupt to make sure that everything's okay. And so this right. is enough to keep Jim from physically, you know, hauling her out of there. So she goes to change. And we have a little bit here where he asks them if there's another way out of the facility. And they both <laughs> just stare at him. And I'm like, okay, so she's doing a runner. But then I was surprised as we go to the front of the club, he's waiting and she does actually come out. Right. There's a thing about the question about if there's another way out of here. Mm-hmm. He asked that and... I think the same thing. Like he's trying to head her off before she 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 runs off. But he asks that same question later on. Mm-hmm. And I think he's trying to avoid what's about to happen. Oh, interesting. Uh, but let's talk about what's about to happen. And what happens is that a, a car pulls up, two goons jump out of it, punch Rockford in the back of the head, grab Karen, <laughs> throw her in the car, and peel off. And we see a close camera shot on the license plate to connect this to the next scene where Dennis says, well, they ran the plates and uh, the guys were smart. They used Karen's own car to kidnap her. (laughs) Well, how do they get access to that? Right. Hmm. Hmm. Strange. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there is an open question still. This this episode has a lot of like once you know how it all goes down. You know, everything kind of falls into place about why why things happen. But watching it and not really remembering how it all came out, I was like, okay, either they are some kind of smart criminals who stole her own car to evade it, or she set that up and that was how she got out of the situation was (laughs) kidnapping herself. Um, Dennis ran this Tony letterer through the system and he's clean. The only thing is a burglary report from a week ago. Five hundred thousand dollars in jewelry stolen from the wall safe in there, and that the wife reported it. He knows it connects somehow, but he doesn't know how. And uh, here we get the, I think, the bit that you were talking about from the opening montage, right? Yeah, Jim's clearly taking. Dennis hands him the case file, (laughs) so Jim starts looking through it, and he pulls out a notebook and starts taking notes. At which point, Dennis objects. Right. Like, oh, it's, it's totally fine for you to look through the case file, mm-hmm. but don't take notes. Uh, and that's when Dennis said that this is this is very much an active case. This is very much an active case. You should not be involved. And that's when Jim says, I don't want to be anywhere near this. And in that context, it feels to me like he is consciously lying to Dennis. Oh, yeah. I don't even think he's trying to deceive Dennis. I think he's just... It's like, this is politely, I have to tell you, I don't want to be anywhere near this, but we all know what's going to happen next. And he ends with saying like, look, tell me how it all turns out with, (laughs) with, with maximum irony as if you'll figure it out before I will. Right. Right. (laughs) Is uh, the attitude there. 
Jim heads out to the letterer place. Um, we see that he's still being followed. And in my in my notes, I say, I assume these are the Fed. Yeah. You know, that they're using him as a stocking horse. Like, that's why they let him out. That is generally how the Feds work with Jim. Uh, he claims to be an insurance agent. Um, Mrs. Letterer is around the back taking care of her horses. This is a good, like, couple details to build this character that, yeah. again, I thought would maybe have more of a role and ends up not really. But, like, she has this house. She has these, like, a couple horses and she cares about them. Uh, she doesn't trust the vet's opinion and wants to get a second opinion. And then she's extremely direct. She's not rude, but she's very blunt with Jim yeah. and like her bearing and her clothing and everything is very much like this woman is not to be messed with. <laughs> yeah. Like you really get that feeling from her. What's his face? Letter. Is it Tony? Yeah, Tony. She's divorcing him and she she's not broken up about it. She's mm-hmm. just throwing out the trash. Right. That is what she's doing. And she's like very clear about her boundaries with it and all of that. There's a great line in there where she just says, I was staying with a friend. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to say about before we meet her, the, the great bit with her housekeeper. Oh, yeah. And Jim takes his card back. He has... <laughs> Because we know, we don't see this, but we know that he has a business card printing machine, mm-hmm. printing press, a right. tiny little hand-powered printing press that he he makes his, his business cards one at a time with. And this is probably the only business card he has for this particular right. insurance agency. So he takes it back from her uh, so that he can use it again. That's good, yeah. So yeah, uh, so... Mrs. Letterer, um, so he's saying he's from the insurance agency and that he needs to check all the details again because of this is such a high value claim and everything, right? Um, specifying that they are $522,000 in appraised value. So yeah, uh, as you say, she, she sets out the boundaries very specifically. Uh, she's divorcing her husband. He wasn't home because he's not welcome. Yes. Because it's her home, her property, her bank account. He has some nice clothes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And she let him keep her, his clothes. She knows that he didn't do the burglary because she's had him followed by PIs for two months. And Jim wants yeah. to know why. And she says that she's not going to tell him. And that's that. Um, and uh, oh, and that is, it wasn't just a simple burglary. The safe was actually blown up by dynamite. It was a pretty significant uh, event. I, I love the change of in bearing of Jim where once he gets yeah. to like where she's like, no, I'm not telling you anything else. He's like, all right. And then he kind of stops being so like business friendly and just yeah. is Jim. And it's like, all right, well, is there another way out of here? <laughs> so we get the second <laughs> hit on this thing. It's so, so honest. It's so honest because he, he just says, oh, because the feds are following me. Yeah. And, and I want to lose them. Like he's not, there's no front here. There's no. There's no consequence to her being like, you're not actually from the insurance company because she's not going to tell me anything else anyway. Right. Yeah. I also love how this confirmed my suspicion that I wrote down, <laughs> like within the same scene. Like, yep, that's the FBI. That's who's following him. Oh, all right. I was right. Um, Make a good PI. <laughs> <laughs> only when uh, watching the Rockford Files. I can I can do a uh, forensic analysis of any given Rockford Files scene. <laughs> Figure out who's the feds and who's the mob. Uh, we cut to Jim at the gym uh, as he's tracked down Becker playing basketball in his full gray sweatsuit, which oh, is so amazing. Good. So good. And he uh, vocalizes that he thinks that the feds sprung him to lead them to to the money. 
and is asking Dennis, you know, whether that's true and what else he can tell him. Dennis is like, what? Come on. You don't know this? Any idiot is aware of what's going on. But he tells Jim, look, uh, Sam Stiles, Karen's father, who was in jail with Jim, he was he went to jail for like passing phony checks or something. But he was one of the best counterfeiters in the country. And now someone that knew him shows up with a briefcase full of phony money. What are we supposed to think? Right. And then I think he asks, like, what are you doing with Karen anyway? And Jim has a line where he says that he likes her. He doesn't trust her, but he likes her. Yes, uh, it's good. Like I said, all along, they've been playing it like that real well. Mm-hmm. It's not an out of the blue thing. They they sunk themselves into that line and wanted to make sure that we as the audience believe that when it comes up. And and I do. And I think it's borne out by the rest of the episode. Yeah. We, we always talk about the scenes carrying more than one load. Right. And I think this is a nice one where it's like we're getting a little bit of the plot about the counterfeit and why they think Jim's involved, showing us another aspect of the relationship between Jim and Becker, because it's like informal and Becker's willing to tell him something that does help him. But it's not like official police business. Can't tell you because we're in the station. Um, And we get another reinforcement of the Jim and Karen relationship of how he feels about her and why he's involved. It's like all in this short little thing. Another little bit in the greater story that is Dennis's uh, better himself health-wise. Right. That's been showing up in a few of the episodes we've been doing. Between his water diet and uh, his full sweatsuits when he plays basketball at the Y. (laughs) Where he's like, I think I need to give them a break. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Jim uh, does a nice little little ruse to get Letter, Mrs. Letter out of the house where he, he calls from a payphone claiming to be Sergeant Jim Dennis from LAPD. <laughs> Jim Dennis. Well played. Saying that they found her jewels and that she can go down to the whatever station at five o'clock and uh, recover them. And I thought that he was going to follow her. Kind of one branch of this story, right, is that she is the one who stole the, like, she stole her own jewels and her her and her husband are in on it. And the way that they framed him coming up to the house and watching her leave as she drives away in her car, it's like, oh, now he's going to follow her. Yeah, there was something about even the car she drove. I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is important. I don't know why this is important, but this is important. It's a big, like, orange... Range Rover Jeep. It's an yeah. open top, yeah, like Jeep, but it's like this bright orange color. It's very dynamic. It really stands out as a car. Um, yeah, so I'm glad I'm no, I wasn't alone on that. But it was an, an elaborate swerve because it was just to get her out of the house so that Jim could talk to the housekeeper. And I was like, oh, that's clever. Yeah. Like, I totally thought this was going to go in a different direction. So that was nice. Uh, again, posing to be this insurance man asks um, with classic. You know, Mrs. Letterer told me about the P.I. and I need to check up with him. But wouldn't you know it? I forgot. I lost my notes. Do you happen to know the name? (laughs) And of course she does and gives him the name of this other private investigator, Slauson. Murray. Murray Slauson. What a name. (laughs) So uh, we go to Jim in in the den of a fellow slash rival private investigator. This scene. (laughs) So this scene... This scene does not need to be in the episode, I don't think. No. But it is a joy. <laughs> so I'm glad it is. It echoes the the uh, conversation he has with the... We're going to put quotes around conversation <laughs> and put quotes around his prose, right? <laughs> like early on when those two 
beefy tennis pros came up to him. Mm -hmm. He asked them some questions and they just didn't respond. Mm -hmm. And so now he's sitting in the chair. He's looking across at a beefy PI (laughs) and asking questions. And this guy is just ignoring him. They're the only two people in the room. He just doesn't, doesn't give him anything whatsoever until Jim himself is like, just nod your head or say right or something. Yeah, he's like, I'm tired of, the, of monologuing here. Yeah. Yeah, Slauson, well, he's occupying his time by taking this huge green cigar out of a cigar box oh, yeah. and, like, lighting it with this overly ornate uh, lighter. Just, uh, it's so over the top. And then we see, once he stands up, that he's wearing a full three-piece suit that's all in blue plaid. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, Once... Rockford uh, winds down and demands some kind of response. Slauson says that uh, Letterer was having an affair with uh, with Karen, and that's all he'll say. Rockford, yes. Uh, he studies all of his competition, even though you ain't much. So he's known as Rockford this whole time. And then I guess he just doesn't like that Jim is trying to mess with him yeah he calls him he says jim rockford the con bull artist yeah not only does he not like jim but he doesn't like jim's technique right he thinks that there's something dishonest about jim's (laughs) and and there is something dishonest about jim there's something very honest about it but it's also he is deceiving people uh and then jim fires back about like being a peeping tom or something like that not taking pictures through people's bedroom windows yeah. And so there's definitely this like animosity about the product that they each the other one delivers. They feel like the other one is a is a poor reflection on their their business or whatever. Yeah, and then Slauson, I guess he's like you're not leaving this office except through me and he's a big beefy guy. He's as tall as Jim and wider. It's so good cuz Jim gets up out of his chair in a kind of a classic, like Jim's a big guy. He's, he's not small. He's, he, he might be able to intimidate this guy. And then this guy stands up and Jim's like, Oh <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Not going to work in classic Rockford fashion. He plays kind of like, look, we can talk about this. You know, we right. don't need to go there. And then once he's in position, he drops his briefcase on the guy's toe. So he looks down and then kicks him right in the kneecap. <laughs> and then, Lays him out with a punch to the jaw. Yeah. Classic. The old drop the briefcase maneuver. The old uh, sucker kick. We haven't seen that in a (laughs) while in our episodes. But it's uh, kicking the guy right in the knee or like the inner thigh. Yes. Seems terribly painful. It's good. So I was saying other than that little tidbit about Letter having the affair with Karen, which kind of comes up again anyway. There's not really a plot reason that this uh, scene is here. No, but it's it reflects Jim's standing, I guess, in the PI community, which I kind of like. And it gives us this first look at Jim being a tricky fighter, which he actually does again later. So it's kind of nice that it's teed up here so that we expect it later. Uh, But yeah, so a car picks him up again outside of Slauson's office and we have a brief car chase. Um, <laughs> which I know is is one of your favorite uh, bits. Well, I I mean this one's interesting because it's he basically takes them up uh, a hillside. Like his his technique in this chase is not to lose them so much as to just play chicken with them, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's driving fast up 
a winding narrow road and the job here i'm guessing is he's thinking that they're going to slow down yeah and they're honking at him the whole time too (laughs) which is great it's just like hey 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 i think it seems like the strategy is like I can trick them into coming too sharp around a corner or something or fish tailing out. But what ends up happening is that Jim takes a turn down the slope and there's a construction zone directly in his way. And so this is the little scene from our preview montage where the car is barreling down into all these like all these people in the construction equipment. And he fishtails out to avoid hitting anything and ends up trapped. Um, which I did not expect. Yeah. I thought he was going to go like through it or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a definitely like it had this been like, say, the Dukes of Hazard, mm-hmm. They would jump something. Right. <laughs> right. And that would be there'd be a convenient pile of stuff to jump. But that's not the case here. Hi, everyone. Nathan here. As the show evolves in format, uh, Epi and I need to reconceive the value and manner of uh, this intermission break. Until we do that, I just wanted to make sure that you know where to find both of our other creative works. To catch up on what Epi is doing with the Worlds Without Masters zine, his uh, upcoming Lincoln Green game design project, and his upcoming Kickstarter for a game called Wolfspell, which is extremely cool, and if you like wolves, you'll want to check that out, go to worldswithoutmaster.com or at Epidia on Twitter. The internet home of all of my work is at ndpdesign.com. That includes the Worldwide Wrestling Roleplaying Game, the Zine 2018 Project, all of my other games, projects, and my portfolio of freelance work. Um, I am also on Twitter at ndpaoletta. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And now, back to the show. The guys get out, and I... I wasn't doing a good job of tracking which uh, goons were which because there's FBI agents, there's these guys. Right. Um, and so until they said, uh, it's something about like, you're you're the guys who snatched Karen. Yeah, he, he identifies them. Yeah. And they say, like, what are you doing, you yo-yo? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see Karen, just come with us. Can I follow you in my car? And they're like, sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was also an unexpected outcome of this chase. I love it. It's just this great amicable end to what was like a brief little like, oh, oh, okay. All right. No, okay. You got me. I'll just follow then. Well, because they all want the same thing, which is to get Rockford to talk to Karen, which also now, you know, I think there's still a little question mark of like, so they're going to take her, take him to see her because they are like half her captured. But we quickly learn as we move into uh, the layers starting to get unpeeled in our, uh, our our act four of the episode yeah um that these guys are uh jerry and fred real estate associates of karen's <laughs> and they bring jim into what i note as a hell of a wood paneled solarium yeah <laughs> jim has a, a great rockford files style line here where he says if these two guys sell real estate it comes in six foot plots <laughs> beautiful uh so Jim, of course, uh, you know, he's starting to to put pieces together. Yeah. All right. So I, I get it. You're framing me to take the federal heat on this counterfeit money off of you. She doesn't really deny what she's what he's saying, but she keeps saying, like, look, will you just listen to me? I can explain everything. Yeah. Um, she's still working to get him to believe her about whatever. Right. And so he finally says, like, OK, I'll listen to what you have to say. 
And uh, they go into another uh, hell of a wood paneled uh, kind of study. This one's in dark wood and the other one was in light wood. The wood paneling in this episode is uh, pretty, pretty over the top. Uh, very early <laughs> 70s. Um, so now she says, okay, the counterfeit money was made by her father and he just had it. And then he died recently. And so she inherited it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't know what to do with it, because what do you do with $100,000 of counterfeit money? But she did have this deal with Tony Letterer, where they were going to split the profits on this real estate thing. So she found the property. He put up the $100,000 to, mm-hmm. they keep saying exercise the option, which I guess means, you know, be able to get a return out of it or whatever. It's essentially a deposit, right? Yeah. Uh, she finds the property. He's putting up the $100,000. And then once they get the, the money out of it, they'd split it. But then he backs out at the last minute. Uh, so she gets desperate because she doesn't want to lose this quarter of a million dollar deal. Yeah. She happens to have the same amount of money in the counterfeit. <laughs> so she uses that instead. So all she wants to do is she wants Jim to find Tony because he's disappeared. Because if she can make the deal work, that's all she wants. So if she can find right. him, she can get him to do to give cough up the real money, and she'll even cut Jim in on the real estate deal on the on the profit. At no point during this uh, revelation did I think that this was actually what was going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is the spot where she says she has buyers lined up as well, right? Like that, she says as soon as. Closing is done. She's going to turn around and sell it for the profit. That's the next time. No, but it's, yeah, this keeps evolving. The story keeps evolving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim also does not buy it. I think he doesn't even commit to finding Tony or maybe he says, like, I'll see what I can do or something. Yeah. He kind of implies that, like, his next move is to find Tony no matter what. Um, Yeah. and, And he leaves. And one of the goons says, should we follow him? And she says, I'd say yes, but I don't think you could. Yes. (laughs) Which I appreciate. Yeah. She accurately assesses uh, his his skills. He's slippery. So we go to Jim and Rocky on the pier. Oh, yeah. Talking out what's going on. And just the thing, nothing makes sense. Just none of the pieces go together. Rocky says, like, look, why are you wasting your time? She comes from a long line of losers. And Jim, and I think this was mentioned earlier in the episode, but Jim's like, Oh, what about her uncle Charlie? Uh, he's retired now, but he could have taught her. But he went to jail for safe cracking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he could have taught her how to blow a safe. Now he's starting to to figure out how these different things could go together. He needs to find a fence. The same way that Jim could teach his nephew how to be a PI. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. It all comes back together. <laughs> um. So we have this delightful moment where Jim Jim needs to find a fence because he needs to figure out what happened with this stolen jewelry, right? So he goes to the Blessed Hope Mission to see <laughs> the, the preacher Fraser. The preacher, yes. Uh, who is on the phone, like making like a like a, a horse racing bet or something. In in what might be a voice. It might be like I feel like he was putting on a voice for that. I think yeah. he changed his voice when he was talking to Jim. Yeah, this guy, this actor, oh, yeah. uh, Jack Colvin, is Mr. McGee from the line, 
don't make me angry, Mr. McGee. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. This is the <laughs> reporter that hounds the Hulk throughout the Incredible Hulk TV series. Nice. Uh, I was so happy to see this man. <laughs> he has an amazing face. Oh, he does. He does. He absolutely does. Uh, and and in the Incredible Hulk TV series, this is not obviously a podcast about that. That's a whole other thing. Uh, he He's the reporter that hounds the Hulk, and he's so aggressive and so sympathetic at the same time. <laughs> and it's, it's this face that does it. Like you just, this is a dog with a bone that he won't let go of, but also you could tell this is a hungry dog. <laughs> like this is, this is a dog that needs this bone. Um, yeah, no, great character. And uh, I was so happy to see him as the preacher Frazier in this for as briefly as he was in this scene. Another great momentary memorable character where he yeah. he has all these like vaguely religious lines but he opens the like collection box. Yes. <laughs> Cuz Jim needs a needs a tip on a, on a fence. He's gone to all the main fences yeah. like Large Harry and Fat Joe and like all the Yeah. his whole line of names. Um <laughs> so he needs to know if there's like a if there's a shark an up and comer who might be involved with something big. The preacher, now he might know something, and he opens the box very, like, surreptitiously, and Jim yeah. <laughs> looks down and drops something in it, and he smiles, and he's like, and he gives him a name, Applebee. Um, has a great little line in here, the Lord, the Lord loves a sinner. And we see inside that box, I think Jim gave him a five? I think so. There's a couple ones, and then there's a five on top. It just didn't seem like much. I mean, that's 25 bucks. Uh, nowadays or 20 to 25 bucks nowadays but still it didn't seem like uh it didn't seem like what i was expecting him to have dropped in or it didn't seem like enough to show us what he did right <laughs> it's like look and look how much he gave away it's uh yeah there's no real reason for that it's just kind of a fun little detail yeah um so jim goes tracks down this guy applebee uh they have some business kind of sparring about like you know, mm -hmm. I want you to tell me about this. Well, why do you think I would know anything? And then Jim drops that preacher sent him. And Applebee's like, oh, well, if preacher sent you. What can I do for you? <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate that there's this, like, web of trust. Because, like, preacher knows Jim also. Like, when Jim comes in, he's like, right. hey, Jim. You know. Uh, so he wants to know whether he moved $500,000 worth of ice. And uh turns out that the ice wasn't ice. It was, it was good, but it was just paste. Whatever those jewels yeah. were that were stolen, they were fake. And then Jim, uh, you know, who sold them to you? What's their name? And Applebee goes, what's your name? And so he just <laughs> describes her. He's like, five, two. Yeah. It took me a second to be like, is he describing Karen or uh, or or the wife or Mrs. Um, yeah. Letterer? I was having the same thought in my head, too. I was like, wait a minute. Both of these women are described this way. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he doesn't. If he'd mentioned hair color, I would have been certain yeah because again i have this this <laughs> thing where i'm like maybe the wife is in on it uh but no it is it is confirmed in, in a bit that it was karen who sold this yeah fake jewelry or tried to sell this fake to applebee so i think jim is starting to put together a picture of what's going on uh in our final act here uh he goes to western insurance and lays out his story <laughs> which seems far-fetched but he thinks that it's worth it 10% finder's fee if he can save the insurance company this $500,000 claim. Yeah. And so the uh, insurance official goes for it and uh, lets him look in their in their records for everything he can find out about Tony Letterer. 
there's a, a little bit here where he says something like, it'll make you uh, look good to the home office or something like that. And the guy's like, this is the home office. It is like very, <laughs> no, it doesn't get any bigger than this. We're we're in trouble here. We're, we're... <laughs> yeah, it's a fun little scene that it, I like that it um, it finally gives us a profit motive for Jim. Like he's finally yeah. like, okay, how can I get money out of this? He's investing a lot of time and effort in this. And he finally sees a way to, yes. to get some cash out of it. And no small change. Like Jim often goes for these finder's fees and he never gets, a, as far as I know, <laughs> he has never earned a finder's fee. Like somebody has found some way to keep him out of it. The only one I can recall is in uh, The Queen of Peru where he and the the family from Indiana, where they recover the, the diamond and... yeah have a bit about splitting it but he works but then but the the father works for an insurance company so he's not eligible or something like that and we kept expecting this also to get jim to oh but it doesn't but it doesn't and we were surprised we're like oh somehow jim manages to get money out of this yeah that's right but yes in this case it would be fifty thousand dollars was able to recover these jewels for the insurance yeah. company. Um, so Jim goes back to Karen's. She's lounging by the pool out back, <laughs> which is she apparently does not have a, a care in the world. And he lays out what he thinks happened. He knows that she was the one who went to fence the fence the jewelry. He thinks that her and Tony worked together to execute this robbery, but he pulled one over on her and stuck her with the phony jewels yeah. while he got the real ones. Um, now Karen, I think gives the, the actual plan that they had as I think yeah. what you mentioned earlier, which is that this real estate deal was going to be worth, you know, they were going to buy in for a hundred thousand each. So 200 total. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, once it closed, they could resell it to a syndicate that she had set up on the DL yeah. that then would pay $2 million for whatever this real estate is and that would that was yeah. the actual profit but let her double crossed her uh for this jewelry i guess and uh you know and thus she tried the gambit with the counterfeit money because she says if they had not realized it was counterfeit she would have made two million dollars yeah in the time that has elapsed since we started the episode and she thinks that jim knows where tony is and offers him ten thousand dollars to bring her tony so now he's he's sitting on possibly sixty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars if if he is able to pull this all together. Um, and there's, so there's a line going into our climactic scene here where he says that he tracked him down via the power and light office as this house is occupied. This is delivered via voiceover, right. so I think it was probably somebody's like, "Wait, how did they get here?" <laughs> Which is kind of funny to me because it's it, of all the times that I'm like these things didn't connect or these didn't sync up or how did they find this out? This is not a time I would have questioned. Yeah. He had, we established that he was looking through the insurance company records and he's a PI. I think he can find someone. Sure. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But I guess they were like, we need to put something here about how he found out where this guy was. Just tighten that screw down. Somebody's going to trip over it. Yeah. Um, Sure enough. uh, Tony's car is in the driveway. They knock on the door and he, busts out the back door down a little dock into a <laughs> motorboat because they're on yeah. like a lake or like a wide river. My notes are all caps. Speedboat chase. Yeah, speedboat chase. But no. Uh, oh, no, no. 
<laughs> Tony can't get the motor going before Jim gets down there. And this is actually kind of important. Oh, yeah. Tony hits him with an oar and uh, doesn't knock him down. Then Jim punches Tony out of the boat <laughs> and then hauls him <laughs> back in all dripping wet. So our, our other villain of the piece yeah, uh, has been apprehended. And they go back inside. We have the two. We have Karen's two uh, real estate associates um, <laughs> as muscle. <laughs> Tony is all wet and with like a towel around his shoulders. And Karen just wants her hundred thousand dollars. That's all she wants. She doesn't want to hear an explanation. You know, she just mm -hmm. wants her money back. Tony says it's going to take him a couple days, you know, and uh, seems to be trying to squirm out of it. I forget if he says or if Jim says that he sold the real jewels in Europe. And the money's in a Swiss bank account. He says it. And then I think we just all take it as truth because it's so late in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So many things have been lied about thus far, but uh, we haven't really had a conversation with this guy. So right. we all like he says it and it's like, OK, that's yeah. probably true. We, we've gotten here. Uh, this whole conversation between Karen, Tony and Jim uh kind of reinforces slash uh, uh, lays out. So basically when, when Tony found out that his wife was going to divorce him, he stole the jewels himself and then he conned Karen into stealing, stealing the fake jewel so that mm -hmm. he would be clear of that. And in the interim sold them. And that's how he had money outside of his wife being in control of all the bank accounts or whatever. Right. This is one of those moments where I'm like, I think this makes sense. I don't think it matters yeah. enough to think through everything. Sure. This, this seems to cover all the bases of what we know about what happened so far. And yeah, it's fine. Um, but Karen, I guess, realizes that she's not going to get her money out of Tony. And all of a sudden, now Jim is a liability because he knows everything that's happened. And she turns and says that she's sorry, but she can't let him run around and go to the authorities about this. And uh, basically is like, I'm going to have my goons kill you now. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, Jim has a great line where he, I think he even cuts her off and he's like, yeah, I know, Karen, you're sorry. Mm -hmm. Like that, like he's like, I've heard it enough times now. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But Jim's like, oh, but wait. You didn't know that this whole conversation was being recorded. And he pulls out the wire or tape machine or whatever from out of his inner pocket. But it's all broken, I assume, <laughs> from getting hit by the oar when he went after Tony, right? Yeah. So then he says, and this place is surrounded. And they don't, they clearly don't believe him. Uh, but Jim, using the broken tape recorder as a uh, weapon of opportunity, manages to throw the goons off balance. Uh, and kind of knock the gun out of one of their hands. And then there's a scuffle. And unfortunately, they, it's basically three against one. Uh, he ends up getting pinned, uh, like his arms behind his back. And the other guy, the other goon is coming up and starts punching him in the stomach. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> but then a wild Dennis comes to the rescue. A wild Dennis. There's a thing that happens just before the wild Dennis, though. The Tony picks up the gun. Yeah. And it's uncertain whose side Tony is on. Yeah, for sure. Maybe he thinks he can pull this off without getting killed. I don't know. But he was definitely on the chopping block at last I knew. Um, but the Dennis uh, Calvary comes to the rescue. Um, they arrest everyone, including Karen, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the last exchange, uh, I think maybe this is where Jim says, like, yeah, I know you're sorry. Or maybe that was earlier. Oh, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I may have jumped the gun on that one. 
I forget exactly, but she ends by saying that, you know, she really did look him up in the phone book. Yes. Like there was, she did have some, some aspect of wanting to know whether he was still available, indicating yeah. she does in some way care for him. Not as much as caring about $100,000 or $500,000 no, or right. $2 million, but there is, there is <laughs> still a little bit of something. So we end our episode, the little epilogue scene where, uh. where we start with Jim chowing down on a victory taco. <laughs> yes. And Dennis is like, how can you eat that? And Jim is like, it's after eight in the morning. Yeah. Like everyone knows after eight in the morning, you could have a taco. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So Jim has two tacos. Becker and Rocky are both there. And neither of them has has tacos. They're not eating. Yeah. These are these are Jim's survival victory tacos, I think. We're sitting here watching Jim eat. Yeah. Everyone is. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Rocky says that we all make mistakes so that we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. I think Jim asks, like, what's going to happen with, uh, you know, with everything. And between the various charges, Karen's up for one to 20 years in prison, which is yeah. a wide range. <laughs> But the yeah. only thing they have on Tony Letterer is a conspiracy charge. He'll probably be out in six months. And Jim has been stiffed uh, because the jewels are already gone. They can't be recovered. Right. And so he is not going to get that finder's fee. Um, and Becker is like, eh, easy come, easy go. <laughs> and Jim does not accept that things are easy come, easy go. No. Becker's like, hey, why are you, you know, like, why is he being like this? And Rocky says that, well, look, he liked her. That's all. Yeah. We end our episode with Jim going, yeah, yeah. And then freeze frame of him taking another big bite of his taco. <laughs> yes. End of episode. I was, I loved, I, I really enjoyed that episode. That was, um, it, it may have been because it had been a, a while since we've, we've done this. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think what we said at the beginning, this had the elements, this, this just, hit the beats the way the beat should be hit and they did them well um i think in contrast to some of the episodes we've done recently i was struck by that very like smooth rising you know rising complexity watching jim right. do stuff and then resolution curve like that was very yeah. evenly paced not that that's better or worse than anything but it kind of makes it go down real easy you know mm -hmm. everything kind of moves at a at a nice steady steady clip uh the mystery isn't so much what's actually happening it's more when is jim going to find out what's actually happening right or uh, how is he going to untangle himself from it to, yeah because yeah. like the details about like he stole the jewels and then conned her into doing this theft and she stole the paste jewels and then you know tried to make it work with the counterfeit money like those details are all fun like Rockfordy yeah. details, but the mystery isn't how did that all go down. The mystery is when is Jim going to get through each of her lies and, yeah. and yeah. find out when he's like, this is what happened, which means you don't need to care about the details. You just watch mm -hmm. Jim and find out as he does. Oh, that I mean, I think that's an interesting point because there's uh, it's the focus of the question, right? Like mm -hmm. when you're watching a episode um there's a question there that needs to be answered whether it's one in the fiction itself like who who did it who done it yeah um or or if it's like we had here how is jim going to survive this how how is jim going to keep out of federal prison right like that's right. maybe the central question here so what they do when they make the episode is that the 
you you point your attention at that question and you do all of your detail work there. But then the little things on the side, you don't need to detail quite as much because that's not in the, you just have to establish that it's possible. For instance, yeah. in the ending here, the police show up, Jim's been wired. We don't get any of that ahead of time. Right. But we've clearly established that Jim has a close relationship with Dennis. So when it does happen, we don't go, wait, that's out of the blue, even though it is. And we've also established that he is suspicious of her and doesn't really right. trust anything she says. So yeah. it makes sense that he has an insurance policy, right? Which in this case is the police. Yeah. So there are these details that you don't have to fill in because they're not in the spotlight. They're not mm. the, the the central focus. And you've already given them a plausible, I don't even want to say plausible because it's not about logic. It's more about tricking the brain into not wondering about right, it. Yeah. You know, you're just like, Oh, he knows the cops. That's how he did. All right. It's fine. Yeah. You know, or um, there was another, there was another one. I'm trying to remember. It was just like a little side thing. And it was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Because he just, but now I can't think of it. Oh, I had it when I started this whole bit. Oh, well, it'll come to me or it won't. And it doesn't matter because <laughs> <laughs> it's not the central focus. Right. Which is what matters. Yeah. No. And I think the, the combination of the central focus being mm -hmm. thought out, conceptualized. How does it work? How do we get through our story? And, you know, while addressing this question is supported by all the external or extraneous details, but it's not yeah. about those details, right? Like all those, all that other stuff supports the central question. And mm -hmm. I think that's like the craft of it, right? Like it's not that every single little loop is closed. It's not that every, uh, Every character has a specific motivation and a goal, uh, yeah. even. But their existence in this story just provides a little bit of support for the central focus of the story, um, either plot-wise or character-wise. Yeah, I, I thought of my other example, which is Tony Letterer, right? Mm -hmm. We don't get him until the very end. And at the very end, we find out that he's capable of stealing the jewels, uh, selling them in Europe... <laughs> Uh, and f buying uh, fake jewels, counterfeit jewels, or somehow getting counterfeit jewels and replacing them uh, and conning uh, Karen into stealing those, all of this stuff implies a little bit more than what we get. But all we know about Tony is that he's kind of a scumbag. Right. Like that's, that's all we get from his soon-to-be ex-wife. We kind of get that from Karen along the way that mm -hmm. she doesn't depend on him. And, um, yeah, because she just wanted the money to to do her scheme. Yeah, so, so that when we reach this sort of end area where we're like, oh, but Tony's done all this stuff in the background. We're like, yeah, of course, of course Tony did it. That guy's a scumbag. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of thing he would do. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I think we said in the beginning, this is, you know, a good, or at least I said in the beginning, it's kind of a greater than the sum of its parts episode where each of these yeah. elements I think is probably done a little better in other episodes, but the way that they all come together in this one is very satisfying and yeah. is a, uh, it's a strong, the strong episode of the show and a good recommend for, for entry into the gym gets into trouble and has to get out of trouble genre of uh, yeah. the Rockford files. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I agree. 
And I will say he uh, is probably out five dollars. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, he, he's not made any money. Plus, whatever he spent on his tacos. Yeah, it's what he spent on the tacos. What he spent on gas. Uh, if he pays Beth, I don't know if he does. Like nobody does. Uh, and there's the maybe five dollar bribe to the preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but he earns nothing nope. along the way. It's nothing. He's going into the third season with a pretty slim bank account. Yes, <laughs> excellent. Cool. Do you have uh, any other thoughts on a bad deal in the valley? Uh, no, I think we I think we covered it. I think uh, yeah, just a fun episode, uh, well put together, and and I, I would say well acted. I really liked uh, what's her name, Susan, um, the countess who became Karen, Susan Strasberg. Yeah, Susan Strasberg. Uh, I thought she did quite a good job. Yeah, and, she's great. Uh, yeah, fun fun episode. Well, even though. Jim Rockford did not earn anything in this episode. I feel like we have earned our $200 for for today. So, as always, we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.